The views in this do not necessarily reflect the views of WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Good afternoon, Raleigh, and welcome. Good afternoon, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. It's January 13th, and time is 4.05. And on behalf of the team here at WKNC, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I'm Ian Grice. And I'm Mirthadonna Storig, bringing you Eye on the Triangle on this fine hump day. Nick Weaver brings you the Modest Mouth Review. This week, he reviews the album Black Star by the late David Bowie and his remembrance. And Jake Quinters brings you Snow Verated. This week, he reviews the film Weird Science. Saba Khan has some information about the Tournai Film Festival starting tomorrow. Mirtha Donastorg will also recap the racial climate town hall that was held this afternoon in Stewart Theater. And as always, we'll have the community calendar from Peter Suzeni. And Saif Hassan brings you the news beyond the headlines. I'm Saif Hassan, and this is your news beyond the headlines. A 14-year-old French schoolgirl and a Ukrainian tourist have been killed in an avalanche in the French Alps, officials said. Five more members of a group of nine pupils from Lyon are still missing, according to the police. At least two of the survivors are in a state of cardiac arrest, and one more is in serious condition. Rescuers with dogs and helicopters are on the scene. The Belcom Piste is situated on a particularly icy north-facing side of the mountain. It is black-rated, the most difficult level. Large quantities of snow have fallen on the French Alps after a relatively dry spell, raising the risk of avalanches. Four other people have died since January in avalanches in the French Alps. Moving to Malaysia, search teams looking for flight MH370 think they have stumbled across a 19th century shipwreck. Underwater sonar equipment turned up a strange object more than two miles beneath the waves just before Christmas. Earlier this month, they sent down an unmanned submarine to take a picture. Experts at the Western Australian Museum think it is a 19th century ship made of metal. This is the second uncharted shipwreck found miles beneath the waves during the search for the missing plane. Last summer, investigators found images of man-made debris scattered along the seafloor, including what is clearly an old anchor. The hunt for MH370 no longer dominates the news, but what some have described as the most complex search in history has continued for almost two years. Three ships are methodically combing the belly of the southern Indian Ocean. Before this search, scientists knew more about the surface of the moon than the bottom of this stretch of water, so it is not surprising that they keep revealing more and more secrets. Along with the shipwrecks, a number of previously unknown underwater volcanoes have been discovered. The search teams have checked 67% of the search zone. I'm Saif Hassan, and this has been your News Beyond the Headlines. Hello and welcome. I'm Nick Weaver of Eye on the Triangle, and you are listening to the Modest Mouth Review. As I said in the intro, hello and welcome everyone. Today's show is a special one. As many of you know, on Monday, January 12th, David Bowie's death was announced to the public. After an 18-month struggle with cancer, Bowie passed away surrounded by friends and family. This has been widely circulated, and by now I'm sure that most all of you have heard the news. 
You may have also heard about the album I'll be reviewing today, Black Star, released by Bowie three days before his death. Now, before I begin, I'd like to say a few things about Bowie in today's show, which I will not be referring to as an actual review for reasons I'll go over in a second. Ever since I was young, David Bowie has been an idol for me. I won't say I ever loved more than three or four of his songs, but as a person, he's always inspired me. Not only did he reinvent himself many times over successfully, he lived his life to the fullest. His career spanned multiple genres, his work transcended the realm of music, and he went on to be an artist not only in sound, but in fashion and film as well. When I was young, and even now, I always had a thousand different interests. I was in choir, I painted and drew pictures, I wrote stories, I wanted to be an actor, I wanted to perform and direct, I wanted to do it all, but I didn't want to sacrifice. I'm still like that to a degree. I love so many different stylings of music, and my dream is to perform as a musician, but my major is art, and I still have countless other side projects in various mediums. Often I would find, and still find, myself thinking that you can't be all of those things. You can't do everything you want to do in life. And that's true. Sometimes things just can't go exactly the way you want them to. But when I'd think of Bowie, I'd always get that childish glimmer of hope. A sensation of joy that comes from knowing that this man... This larger-than-life figure who was on top of the world was able to do it all without compromise. He was exactly who he wanted to be, and did what he wanted to do. His backstory is rich with the essence of resisting assimilation and losing your ability to dream and be everything you could want to be. Hell, the man quit his old label because they tried to make him a pop star against his will, signed on to a new one, became a pop star, and made more money than he's ever made in his life just to spite them. He wasn't just a figure of admiration, he was a badass. He loved the Pixies. He performed with Freddie Mercury. He made being different cool. He was a god among men. So that brings me to the nature of this show. Knowing what Bowie meant to me and what he most likely meant to a number of other people, it should already be clear that I have a strong bias in favor of the man. And I feel it would be unfair to trample on his last work that came out just days before his death. I can't bring myself to genuinely criticize a preemptive eulogy, especially not so soon after his death. So, here's what this show is going to be. Instead of genuinely critiquing the album, I'm going to talk about all of the things that it did right, and what makes it so Bowie. Today's episode, in short, will be a celebration of the final work of Bowie and his life. Without further ado, let's begin talking about Black Star by David Bowie. The writing sessions for this album began very shortly after recording concluded for his previous album, entitled The Next Day. It is the 27th album in his discography, a number which is entirely too large for any other artist besides Bowie. The sheer magnitude of his writing is characteristic of Bowie in and of itself, but what's even more amazing is that throughout all of the changes, all of the album's recordings and performances, Bowie has upheld a standard of quality that other bands and artists might never even dream of. Off the top of my mind, no other artist even holds a candle to his quantity versus quality ratio. Black Star is interesting for the fact that in his list of inspirations for the album, Bowie includes Kendrick Lamar's 2015 release, To Pimp a Butterfly, the electronic group Boards of Canada, and the experimental hip-hop trio known as Death Grips. I told you the man was awesome. If the fact that he loved the Pixies wasn't good enough for you, that ought to do the trick. To the end, Bowie was the epitome of adaptable. At any rate, this album is yet another reinvention of Bowie, not that I'd expect anything less. It doesn't stray far from the image of the next day, but further than that, I can't speak to variations in style. As I said, I never look too much into his music, though after this album, I thoroughly intend to. Black Star is listed as being avant-garde jazz and art rock, and for once, I'd say that's right on the money. 
To describe the sound of this album, I think the best picture I can give is that a dying Bowie was preparing to go to his grave smiling at the stars. In every way, Black Star is a swan song and a eulogy. It is bizarre, unique, and absolutely wonderful. Quite honestly, it's unlike most anything I've ever heard before. The underlying saxophone and jazz percussion fuses perfectly with the arrhythmic art rock stylings. Ambient electronic waves and percussion wash over the top of most songs like the Milky Way spilling over a bandage-eyed Bowie. His vocals are unapologetically unorthodox and at times arrhythmic, ignoring altogether the time signature and beat, but still blending perfectly with the song in an almost Gregorian manner. The guitar surges up beneath the welling mass of eccentricity like an infrequent pulse, glowing through this cosmic array with power and dignity amidst messages of death and mortality. During the few times when the album goes quiet, Bowie sings with a hushed intensity. Songs like Girl Loves Me exemplify Bowie's vocal capability and unique style, singing in an angry, pointed question and jumping from a chant up to a high-pitched vocalization that defies the norm perfectly. The song Lazarus bids farewell, but slyly hints at an immortal return to form someday, somehow. Atop all of this is the first track of the album, Black Star, a 9 minute and 58 second epic that transforms several times within the course of the song. It is an entrancing experience, a call to the void and an exercise in brilliance and originality. To put it simply, Black Star doesn't pull any punches. It goes all out and transcends what we've heard before to create something beautiful and mesmerizing just as David Bowie knew it would. After listening to this, I feel I have an even greater appreciation for just how amazing he was, and how amazing his music can be. I personally recommend that everyone listens to this album, at least once, even if it's not your thing. Do it as a final celebration of the life and work of David Bowie. That's all for today. Thank you for listening to this very personal episode of the Modest Mouth Review. I'll be back again next week with the usual, but until then... Thanks again for listening in, and I'll speak to you all again next time. Goodbye, Dave. We'll miss you. You make man? No. Woman. Woman. Hello, this is Jake Winters for Eye on the Triangle. This is Snow Brady, and this week I will be taking a look at the movie Weird Science. Weird Science first premiered in 1985, and now I'm taking a look at the movie from the perspective of an 18-year-old college student in 2016. The 80s has a distinct feeling when it comes to movies. They are campy and always seem to have the perfect ending. I enjoy these movies. Sometimes they can be pretty hard to watch because of how corny they can be, but really, they always try to leave you feeling good, which is nice. This movie's not really any exception to any of these stereotypes, and I would say it's one of the most 80s movies I've ever seen. To sum up the story, for those who have not seen the film, it goes like this. Two teenage boys, tired of being losers, essentially, decide to make a perfect girl, and the adventure really just continues on from there. There's no real rhyme or reason for anything that happens in the movie other than just two kids hanging out. The story follows the two as they attempt to find girlfriends, and truly, this is an 80s coming-of-age story. They beat their bullies, and they come out on top, just like you would want it to end. If you feel like I spoiled the movie for you there, I'm not sure what you were going to be expecting from a movie like this. One of the great things about this story was its imagination. 
The title of the film doesn't exactly do it justice when it comes to the weird things that happen throughout. The cast and crew of this film must have had a great time filming and making this movie because there was so much opportunity to do out of the ordinary things. They turned a whole scene blue, sent a living room out of a fireplace, and put a missile in the middle of a house. These situations really give the movie a feel as if it had really been created by a 15-year-old in the mid-80s. The imagination of the film created some unique challenges for the set producers and costume designers. One of my favorite things about movies from the 80s is all of the practical effects that had to be put into place because CGI really hadn't been developed extremely well yet. Some great examples of movies that do this are Labyrinth, which I recommend checking out, and this is kind of a side note, but due to the sad passing of David Bowie, I really recommend checking out Labyrinth. It's a really great movie with him in it, and if you want to try and re remember or honor him, it would be a great way to do so, I think. Um, another great movie with practical effects that are really nice, and this might seem kind of like very obvious, is Star Wars. Um, and Another side note, I was happy to see that they kept many of the practical effects in the new films. There's a ton of CGI in those films as well, but they could have made Chewie or any of the other aliens completely CGI, but instead opted for the real costumes, which really kind of lent itself to the feeling of the movie. So beside those side notes, uh, those are just some really great examples of practical special effects from the 80s. And if you're wondering what a practical effect is um, in regards to special effects, it's just a, a special effect created without CGI. So like an explosion would be a practical effect or like a costume. And once again, really, uh, Weird Science is no exception to this great era of practical effects. Some of them actually had me wondering how they were able to do them, which makes them so great. The thing that I love is that the costumes really are works of art here. They're physical pieces that people had to make specifically for the movie. And there is some very early CGI used in this movie, which is sometimes hard not to laugh at but I feel they were able to implement it pretty correctly. The CGI really just added to the story in this case, and I didn't ever really feel like it was annoying. It was just a great way for them to add some kind of theme to the movie and, in effect, just create a more weird science feel. One more thing I'll mention about the actual filming of the movie was the lighting they used. Lighting seemed to play a pretty important role in setting the tone of the scene, and I really liked this touch. One thing in particular I noticed was the use of showers to create a colored lighting effect. In most scenes where there are showers, which is a surprising amount, there's a light inside it creating a glowing effect, each color pertaining to an individual mood of a scene. My favorite use of this bathroom slash shower lighting was in an explosion out of a bathroom. They blew up a door with a red light behind it, and the effect is really amazing. I can definitely say that I enjoyed this movie. It was everything I expected from the genre and era, and it is unique and fun to watch. I felt engaged in the tale of these two kids, and I really felt happy for them and their ups and down for them when they failed. The acting was exaggerated and really not great, but it really fits an 80s movie in my idea of it. And even with the poor acting, I was still able to relate to the characters. I sometimes hate giving movie numbers, like a 9 out of 10 or something like that, but lately, as I look back at my reviews, I've kind of noticed that I usually say... I enjoyed a movie, maybe give a few reasons as to why, and this doesn't really give an accurate representation of how I felt the film performed, comparatively speaking. So I'm going to give the film a 7.8 out of 10. And now I'm going to also go back through all of my movies I've previously reviewed, which if you would like can be listened to on Eye on the Triangle's blog, and I'm going to give them ratings as well. So the first one I reviewed was Koi Nascazzi. It's a super abstract movie, but it's really awesome. So I'm going to give it an 8.5 out of 10. 
And then the next movie I did was A Pigeon Sat on a Branch Reflecting on Existence, which is now on Netflix, which is cool. So it's really easy to watch. Uh, that's a really weird movie. Um, that's a, I'll give that a 6.5 out of 10. Um, and then Catch Me Daddy, which was a thriller, uh, is unique, but I felt it lacked something to make it engaging. So that got a 6 out of 10. Um, Amadeus, that's a historic fiction. And um, I felt it was a good dramatization of history with a little bit too much at parts. So uh, that's a 7 out of 10. Brief Interviews with Hideous Men. Uh, it's a John Krasinski film, the guy from The Office. Um, it's really hard to put into words what I felt there, so I'm just going to say it's a 5.5 out of 10. I kind of, you should listen to the review. It's, uh, I'd say, good. Uh, and then I uh, did This Is Not a Film, which is an eye opening documentary, but it's really pretty boring to watch, but it has such great meaning. So I gave it a 5.5 out of 10. And then Turbo Kid, they tried to bring back an 80s style in a modern movie. And it really came across as overplayed, but it was still enjoyable. So that's a 6 out of 10. Um, and then I did Hidden, which was a scary movie. And it's one of the only scary movies I've ever liked. That's an 8 out of 10. Um, Cop Car, which was engaging to watch, but not overly unique or exciting. That got a 6 out of 10. Bronson, this is a Tom Hardy movie. I'm really not a Tom Hardy fan. Uh, that is really a jumbled mess that seems to have been made on purpose, but it's hard to tell. <laughs> it's a 3 out of 10. Uh, they Live is a cult classic that I would highly recommend. If you, It's also another 80s movie. Um, I gave that a 7.5 out of 10. Uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Steve Martin. It's a great family movie. Nothing really special about it. Uh, it's a 6.5 out of 10. In Bruges, that's a really great um, modern tragedy is kind of what I like to call it, but it, I gave that a 9 out of 10. All right, so that updates all the movies I have reviewed so far. You can rent Weird Science on most any streaming service, and it's a great throwback. Um, feel free to send any suggestions or comments to the email address publicaffairs at wknc.org. I'm always glad to hear feedback and opinions. Thank you for tuning in to Snowverated. This is Jake Winters for Eye on the Triangle. Have a good night. Salu NC State, Joe Pelsaba, and tonight I'll be talking to you guys about something that is really exciting. And that is, my friends, French film. But I just want to start off with WKNC and you guys are not new to French music and French artistry. We play French bands all the time. There's We Were Evergreen, which is a band from Paris. Definitely check them out if you haven't. Also, there's Phoenix, which just completely blew up around the States. Also, really amazing and they're a band from versailles and i'm sure a lot of you have heard of daft punk also a french duo so obviously we are no stranger to the talent that comes out of france um but what's really cool is nc state is having their inaugural french film festival it's going to be called tournée film festival it starts january 14th and goes all the way up to uh february 11th 
But yeah, it's a collaboration between Global Training Initiative, Union Activities Board Films Committee, and NC State Libraries. Uh, the film festival is going to include about six different movies. The movie La French is the first film that's going to be shown, and it's a high-energy true crime tale that tracks the six-year crusade of a law officer to bring down a seemingly untouchable drug kingpin. There's going to be a children's movie called Le Roi et l'Oiseau, uh, The King and the Mockingbird. It's gonna, so it's about a chimney sweep and a shepherdess who seek to escape from the clutches of a tyrannical king. And it's a children's film. It's animated. So another film that they're going to be showing is called Ben de Fille, uh, Girlhood. It's about a 16-year-old who has to assume responsibility for her two younger sisters while their mother works the night shift, and the teenager must also frequently absorb the wrath of her tyrannical, slightly older brother. So they're going to be showing a variety of movies, and the best part is, I mean, you're already watching a French film, which is pretty cool, but what's amazing is that it's all free. And on tomorrow at the Thursday screening, there's going to be free popcorn. So everything's basically gratuit, which is pretty cool. So definitely take advantage of this. Come out to Witherspoon Theater, um, which is just like the student theater here at State, and check out some movies. It's going to be a fun time. And remember, it's January 14th to February 11th. And you can get more information at go.ncsu.edu slash film festival. And here's some music by Phoenix to get you guys pumped for this upcoming festival. So Good afternoon to you listeners out there. This is the Community Calendar, an Eye on the Triangle segment informing you of cool events and activities occurring on campus or around the Raleigh-Durham area for this upcoming week. So let's get started. There will be a town hall at the Museum of Natural Sciences. You may learn more about sustainable development goals from the College of Humanities and Social Science students, and you can join WRAL meteorologist Greg Fischel in a conversation with Ramu Damodoran, Chief of the United States Academic Impact in New York. Lori Foster, Professor of Psychology at NC State University and Fellow with the White House Social and Behavioral Sciences Team. And Emlyn Coster, Director of the NC Museum of Natural Sciences. Don't miss out on this town hall opportunity to exchange views about global needs. A reception will be held from 6 to 6.50 p.m. and the program will soon follow at 7.00. This event is located in the WRAL 3D Theater at the Natural Exploration Center. The address of the Natural Sciences Museum is 11 West Jones Street, which is located in downtown Raleigh. This is next door to the Museum of History or the State Legislative Building. This is open to the public. So the Campus Cinema will be hosting this very cool French film festival. It's called Tourney's Film Festival, and this is a program of the FACE Foundation in partnership with the cultural services of the French Embassy. This aims to bring French cinema to American college and university campuses. Their objective is to provide nearly $200,000 in Tourney's Film Festival grants every year to fund this festival endeavor, which will eventually become a permanent and self-sustaining program. This was founded in 1995, and since its inception, the program has partnered with over 450 universities and is reaching an audience of over half a million students and community members across the United States. 
So our campus cinema here at Witherspoon will be hosting a film this Wednesday from 6.30 to 9.30. And we'll also be holding another screening this Saturday from 2 to 5. These screenings are open to the public, but you can pre-register at eventbrite.com. There ought to be more screenings in future weeks, so I'll keep you posted on those as well. So have you ever volunteered for Habitat for Humanity? If so, I got a really cool event for you. You can actually go and listen to their CEO this week. Community of Nonprofit Scholars will be hosting an event this Thursday evening at 6.45. Jonathan Reckford, CEO of Habitat for Humanity International, will be speaking at this event. Students, faculty, nonprofit, and community leaders are invited to the presentation and discussion by the leader of one of the most well-known global nonprofits. Jonathan Reckford will speak on the challenges of being a leader in an international nonprofit organization. Reckford, a distinguished leader in the private and nonprofit sectors, previously worked for Goldman Sachs, Disney Design and Development, and also was a senior vice president of Circuit City Stores and president of stores of the Music Land Group. A North Carolina native, Reckford holds a BA in political science from UNC Chapel Hill and an MBA from Stanford's University Graduate School of Business. This event will be taking place at Hunt Library and the Duke Energy Ballroom at 645 this Thursday evening. This event is open to the public and please reserve a seat by going through eventbrite.com. Coffee and Viz will be having another event this week. This week's topic is Serious Gaming with Tangible Landscape, an interactive seminar exploring how serious analytical games can be deployed to simulate real-world problems like tracking emerging infectious diseases and modeling coal ash spills to help develop innovative solutions. Presentation and talks will take place in the Teaching and Visualization Lab from 9.30 to 10. Games and demos will take place in the Creativity Studio from 9 to 9.30 and 10 to 11. Coffee and Viz is open to the public. Coffee and light refreshments will be available nearby at 9. Again, this event will be from 9 to 11 on Friday at Hunt Library. And one last event to report on will be Meet the Robots. This will be occurring from 3 to 4 next Wednesday, just before our show next week. Ken Boone, NC State alumnus and founder of Ken's Robots, will explain and demonstrate the model replica of the Mars rover built by the Triangle Amateur Robotics Club. The model rover, which features six-wheel drive, four-mode steering, and transmitting camera, is a part of the Life's Little Dramas exhibit. Attendees will also get to meet the robotic humanoid, Ken, from the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineering. Eastern North Carolina section demonstration will be at the D.H. Hill Library exhibit gallery. This event is open to the public. I am Peter Swazeni, bringing you this week's community calendar. Hope you all have a great week ahead. You're listening to WKNC FM Raleigh. I'm Ian Grice, your host of Eye on the Triangle. Um, we are going to take a quick air break and play some public service announcements. Oh, I'm sorry. Why don't we just relax? We'll turn on the radio. Would you like am or fin? We are 88.1 FM. Are you interested in advertising on WKNC? We offer both on-air and online announcements to help get the word out about your product or service. When you advertise with WKNC, you're reaching a targeted audience in an uncluttered environment, as well as supporting college radio and local music. Contact sales at WKNC.org for more information about our on-air or online advertising packages.
Wendover, NC State's only literary and arts magazine, is accepting submissions for its 2016 edition. All NC State students, faculty, staff, and alumni are free to submit any form of literary, visual, or audio work to Wendover for a chance to have it published. Our submission policy can be found at windhover.ncsu.edu slash submit. The final deadline for submissions is January 31st. This has been a public service announcement of 88.1 WKNC. The NC State Chapter of Engineers Without Borders is dedicated to improving lives through the creation and implementation of sustainable projects to address the needs of disadvantaged peoples. You can support developing communities, hone practical skills, expand your resume, and make new friends. You do not have to be an engineer to join. Current projects include water sanitation in Bolivia and renewable energy and water systems in Sierra Leone. For more information, go to ewbncsu.org. This has been a public service announcement of WKNC 88.1. The North Carolina Museum of Art is presenting an exhibition of M.C. Escher's explorations of nature, mathematics, science, and the realm of his imagination. Escher's best-known prints will be on view, as well as his lesser-known portraits in Italian landscapes, in the most comprehensive Escher exhibition ever presented in the United States. For more information about tickets and times, go to ncartmuseum.org forward slash exhibitions. This has been a public service announcement of WKNC 88.1. Feed the Pack is a community-based food pantry at NC State. The pantry's mission is to help feed the needs of all food insecure members of the NC State community with dignity and respect. Feed the Pack Pantry has varying afternoon hours Monday through Friday and is located in room 1333, Broaden Hall. More information about Feed the Pack Pantry, donations needed, and opportunities to volunteer are available by emailing feedthepackpantry at ncsu.edu. This announcement is a public service of 88.1 WKNC. The NC State GLBT Center supports members of the campus gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender communities and their allies with drop-in counseling, study hours, workshops, and social events. The GLBT Community Alliance is the primary social organization at NC State for GLBT and allied students and meets every Tuesday at 7 p.m. at the GLBT Center in room 3285 of Tally Student Union. More information about the GLBT Center and a complete list of the center's resources and event schedule are available at oied.ncsu.edu slash GLBT. This announcement is a public service of 88.1 WKNC. The Revolution. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle. I'm Ian Grice. It's January the 13th and the time is 536. Today you were able to hear Nick Weaver with his Modest Mouth review. This week he reviewed the album Black Star by the late David Bowie and in his remembrance. And Jake Winters brings you Snowverated. This week he reviewed the film Weird Science. Saba Khan had information about the Tournees Film Festival starting tomorrow. And we had the community calendar with Peter Svizini and Saif Hassan had the News Beyond headlines. Coming up, Mirtha and I will were able to go to the ra- Racial Climate Town Hall that was held this afternoon in the Stewart Theater. The recap will be coming soon. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle. This is WKNC Raleigh FM, and I'm Ian Grice. Here is that long-awaited for uh, track that we have. Mirtha, Donna Storg, and I were able to go to the Racial Climate Town Hall that was held this afternoon in Stewart Theater. This is the recap. 
fresh off the presses. This afternoon, Stuart Theatre was host to a different sort of drama, that of racial representation and integration here on campus. The Student Government Association hosted a racial climate town hall in the Tally Theatre. Eight student minority leaders moderated the panel discussion with an audience of about 200 students, faculty, administrators, and staff, although exact figures were hard to see. People were coming in and out of the two-hour discussion. Student government decided to host the town hall after seeing the need for it. Student body president, Kari Cyrus. A lot of students have had experiences with, you know, the racial climate on campus, but there hasn't necessarily been one centralized format for us to discuss these issues personal experiences and then action items. So I personally wanted this to be a solutions-based sort of town hall, not just one where we come together and talk about personal experiences, but where we flip that and say what we can do to, you know, mitigate some of those personal experiences for others as well. The discussion varied from diversity training during freshman orientation to the funding for diversity administration. On a screen behind the panel, racist social media posts and diversity statistics were shown throughout. At one point during the meeting, a chart comparing NC State to other universities of equal status revealed that NC State has no resources for Asian American students. One of the panel members was extremely disappointed by that. I just want y'all to seriously look at this. Like, that's a zero. That is a zero. The only thing that state needs zero of is hate. And the statistic was backed up by stories from the audience. Nina Andona, a member of the panel, said that Asian American students are surviving, not thriving. Then, an international graduate student, Kevin Kwong, talked about the lack of integration between Asian and American students. Samya Nadabar spoke about her struggles with seeing representation on campus. Um, my name is Samia. I am a senior in Global Studies and Economics. Um, I remember coming in as a first year and getting an email from the Multicultural Students Association. I'm of Japanese and Indian descent partly, um, but I know that I never really engaged with this, this association because I didn't feel represented as an Asian American. There was also a lot of discussion about the funding and resources for multicultural administration. Assistant Vice Provost for Student Diversity, Dr. Tracy Ray, said that there just wasn't enough money for all the minority student groups. It's not necessarily that, okay, they're, they're, their number is not small enough, so they're not underrepresented enough. The resources in multicultural student affairs are very limited. <laughs> They've done work on a shoestring budget for a very long time. We've undergone two recessions in the time that multicultural student affairs has existed. Part of the challenge is, as a director, do you take away from what you're already doing when you're struggling to do what you're doing for the folks who have the, it's not even the greatest need, it's the most extreme need. Students, on the other hand, said they were frustrated because it seemed like the university was putting funds into non-essential things, like the new Tally Student Center or more buildings on Centennial Campus. They also cited Chancellor Woodson's $63,000 pay increase as an example of misplaced funds. He is now the highest paid chancellor in the UNC system. Woodson was not at the meeting due to a prior engagement. But when talking to student body president Kari Cyrus after the meeting, he felt that some good steps were made. I asked him if he felt optimistic going forward. I'm feeling maybe not. I'm ready to move on with the next steps of this. You know, I'm ready to, you know, 
check off the town hall box and see what we can do next to continue to you know see action and progress on the issues that we're talking about. So what does the follow-up look like for this? So the follow-up looks like uh, the committee of students that worked on this meeting again to go over what was discussed, uh, look at the action items, look at the feedback from the audience, and put that into one centralized document. Uh, one thing I'd like to see is for the student senate to take all of you know what came out of this meeting and turn that into legislation so we can get the official student voice behind you know some of these action items. We'll be coming back to this issue throughout the semester to see what, if any, changes are happening. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Yartha Donestorg. We'd like to thank Saif Hassan, Peter Suzeni, Subha Khan, Nick Weaver, and Jake Winters. And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, let us know on Twitter at EOT underscore WKNC. And be sure to check out our blog at, and podcast at WKNC-EOT.tumblr.com. You can catch another episode of Eye on the Triangle next week right here on WKNC. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Ian Grice. And I'm Myrtha Donastorg.